0: Welcome to the Flourishing Therapreneur Podcast, a podcast that equips therapists to thrive in business, expand their reach, and create flourishing and meaningful lives, both personally and professionally. I'm your host, Claire Blakey. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist in private practice. I believe in being a multi-passionate therapist. You can have a thriving, financially impactful business. Be a leader in the community and also a business entrepreneur. You don't have to choose and your impact as a clinician can go beyond the therapy room. I believe that you can be a therapist and an entrepreneur, a Therapreneur. And I believe that every therapist deserves the tools, community, and resources to build thriving businesses and flourishing lives. I pair my passion and previous career in PR, marketing, and blogging with my education and experience as a clinician to equip therapists like you who are multi-passionate and wanting to pursue additional opportunities to grow your skill set and expand your reach. So what are we waiting for? Let's get going. Let's create impact and build flourishing lives and businesses we're proud of. Here we go. We go to Google for everything from recipes to answers to our most burning questions. But did you know that many people are also looking for therapist on Google SEO or search engine optimization is the number one way many therapists get clients and you can learn how to optimize your website for search engines too. This spring, I enrolled in Optimize Your Practice, Therapy SEO's signature group coaching program for therapists who want to learn SEO. Although SEO can get super technical and complicated, Christy Platinga, Therapy SEO's founder, made it super accessible, and I've already implemented things that I've learned in the program. So if you're tired of wondering where your next clients are coming from, Head to optimizeyourpractice.com waitlist to get more information about how learning SEO can transform your private practice. Hi, Destiny. Welcome to the Flourishing Therapreneur. I'm so happy to have you on the podcast today. Um, why don't you take a moment and just share with the audience who you are so we know kind of where you're coming from as you enter the conversation?
1: All right. Hi, I'm so happy to be here and so excited when you asked me. Um, I'm Destiny Morris. I'm an associate marriage and family therapist, and I'm in private practice, but I'm underneath the supervision of Dr. Pilar Semelpong. Um My dogs are barking. Perfect timing. <laughs> I have two dogs. <laughs> um, I actually trained one of them to be in my office when I was working in person, and um, now I work completely remote. So she lays underneath my desk and supports me more than she supports clients.
0: (laughs) I love it. And then just so the audience kind of knows where you're based, like, where are you in, you know, you're in California, but where, what
1: city do you reside in? Who is like your demographic in terms of who you work with? I'm in Santa Barbara County um, and I can see anybody in the state of California. So um, that's the great thing about working telehealth is I can um, see anybody that's not in my county or in my region, um, my niche or that I work with is first responders and first responder families. So I see wives, partners, um, couples, police officers, firefighters, nurses, anybody who fits underneath the first responder title.
0: Wow. And that's like really incredible that one, you're an associate that's in private practice, which I know not all associates do that, but two, like, to be so grounded and to already have like, such a clear sense of who you love working with and having that kind of reputation that you're building of like, this is my specialty. This is what I do. Um, I'm curious, like, did you always know that you wanted to niche in that, you know, specialty and, or like, I don't, besides you, I don't think I've heard very many people that have that as a niche. And I, that's one of the things I love about like learning more about your practice was like, wow, like that's such a need. And it's something that people aren't talking about enough.
1: Oh, thank you. Um, yeah, it's kind of an interesting story. So in grad school, I was dating a firefighter and I felt incredibly lonely. Um, I had moved in with him during the pandemic. He was gone on fires all the time and I felt like I was going crazy, just super anxious. I was looking for support for myself and I couldn't find any. I felt like a lot of the firewife groups were um, based on complaining and how horrible firewife life is. And I just didn't really feel like there was a place um, where I felt seen or validated or like I fit in. And so I created my Instagram account as um, in a student in grad school to help support and kind of share my journey on being a first responder partner. And then um, long story short, I ended up leaving the relationship and continuing. um, And I did some certifications through um, first responder counselor trainings, and I love working with this population. So even though I'm not personally in this population anymore, um, I work with them and that's become my niche. That's where it came from.
0: (laughs) That's amazing. Well, I love like one, like, thank you for your honesty and humanness to like, bring in like a breakup story into our conversation, but also like here's that piece. And I think this is something I talk about a lot on the podcast. And as I share my own stories too, of some of the things I've gone through, like a traumatic birth or postpartum anxiety, how sometimes like sometimes not always, sometimes some of the things we live through actually like birth a passion. And I kind of like to talk about it being like, you know, your pain turned into purpose kind of. And it sounds like you know, you saw a need when you were navigating that season of, Hey, there are groups out there, but they're not really meeting me or not really seeing what I'm actually experiencing. And I think some of the best business ideas actually stem from, you know, our own awareness of like, what am I Googling? What am I needing as well? And like having the gift of being able to create that for others. And that's kind of what I've done with um, some of the groups I host with pregnancy and and postpartum anxiety and all that kind of stuff is like, there are a lot of mom meetups, but a lot of them are mental health related and, or, um, not really being preventative or being supportive in the way that I wish I had back then. Um, so I love that you kind of shared that story and I like how you have that experience and yet maybe you're not necessarily living it anymore, but you still really deeply care about it.
1: Oh yeah. Thank you for sharing that about you too. Um, yeah, absolutely. I think that, One of the biggest things is when I was looking for therapy for myself, when I was in grad school, I didn't feel like the therapist ever understood what I was going through Mm -hmm. and they just didn't get the culture of it. And so what's really cool now um, is that when I meet with my clients, I can, I sometimes will share that I've personally been in their shoes, but I want them to know that I understand the culture. And that I'm trained in understanding it because I think especially working with first responders, there's such a kickback because they'll go to see a therapist that says they, re- they specialize in that. And maybe they're not as um, well versed in the culture or the verbiage or the lifestyle and it can be really detrimental to their experience of therapy.
0: Totally. And I like, I'm a firm believer. Like I love that you've done the additional training, but I also feel like, like you don't necessarily have to live through something to be good at treating it, but it's phenomenal. The amount of empathy and even the way that you can name certain things or reflect back pieces that you're catching, that maybe someone that hasn't navigated it wouldn't say it, if that makes sense. Yeah, that's really cool. And I'm really appreciative of hearing that. I know sometimes people like live through something and they're like, oh, I'm not specialized in it. But like the fact that you actually like did, you lived it, which you're specialized in that sense, but you're also doing additional qualifications and trainings to really deepen the clinical pieces of it. Um, at least I know for me, I've seen that with like a lot of pregnancy postpartum people that specialize are like, I specialize in it, but they don't have training. They just are a parent. I'm like, oh, but that's different than actually like learning the research about you know what's happening with your hormones and then the psychology behind certain things and um yeah so i appreciate the additional step that you took
1: thank you um
0: well i'm wondering because today is our conversation i was hoping would kind of be highlighting um your journey as an associate in private practice which is so nice to have like just your up close and personal experience to kind of learn from but also really wanting to talk about groups and how to host a group how to market a group and just kind of learning the ins and outs of that process too and i feel like in the same way that we talked about like you know sometimes the best ideas are things that haven't been highlighted like i feel like groups i never can find any resources about like current resources about like what is the modern approach to marketing a group or what is you know, the the actual reality of using like social media to market and all those kind of things where maybe, you know, the books that we read in grad school might have been like quite a few years back. (laughs) Uh, So a little bit of a different model. So I'm wondering if you wanted to share a little bit about how you market yourself in general with your private practice and what you've learned, and then we can kind of transition into group concepts.
1: Absolutely. All through grad school, I was told um, that you can't go into private practice right away. And I don't know if that's an experience that you had. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, And I would hear a lot of people or professors would ask, what are your goals? And everyone would usually say, I'm going to work under this organization. And then with some experience, maybe I'll go into private practice. Mm -hmm. Um, For me, I always wanted to go straight into private practice, even though the door wasn't open at the time. I just knew that that was the avenue I wanted to go in. Um, Kind of a little bit of background. I started my traineeship working for a psych hospital. Oh, and wow. uh, like, <laughs> I'm like wow. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh, my legs were shaking for like the first week working there because oh. I was so scared because I had never um I'd never practiced therapy. I was my first year yeah. of high school and I was in a psych hospital. Um and that was actually one of the first experiences I've had with group, but um not to deter from your question Marketing, um, is something that I started in grad school. So I started my Instagram account and there was a lot of speculation about it. A lot of people were mm-hmm. saying, okay, for you to do that because you're not. Yeah. Practicing? And so I, um, consulted with my supervisor at the time. And okay. she said, as long as you're not saying that you are a therapist, yeah. you can say like you, um, our mental health page, um, yeah. and you're not giving any, um, you know, kind of advice over direct messages, then you're totally fine. So I created this community um, my first year in grad school of firewives, And then uh, with that, I got asked to be on a podcast. And um, that was kind of my first like exciting thing <laughs> where I got followers was from the podcast. And then um, later on a second podcast. And so I began to grow my Instagram account um, just by other people reposting. And then I would go, and I would look up the algorithms on Instagram, like fire hashtag firewife life and police wife, um, fire girlfriend. And I would look at other people that were posting about it and then send them messages about collaborating. So, so I would cool. thank you, Instagram uh, lives with them or like collaborate posts with them. And then they would repost me on their page. So I guess that's how I started to grow it. And then with groups, um, I knew I wanted to do a group. Um, My first thought was because it's financially really helpful (laughs) to have a group
0: going. Yeah. And we can deepen that at some point too. There definitely is a lot of financial benefit and or business strategy behind that too.
1: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So Instagram is how I started that um, with marketing my group. I would go on my Instagram stories and talk about how I wanted to have a group. And then I would do polls to see who was interested. And then I would follow up with them. Um, It actually took me a good five to six months before I could get four women to buckle down on the group. Because people will say they're interested and then maybe you'll follow up with them. And I've had experiences where last minute, they'll decide that they can't afford it or just ghost me. I had that recently. Yeah,
0: you know, that happens as a therapist. We don't talk about that enough, but it happens often.
1: Yeah, I was like, oh, okay.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, I know. So it sounds like you've done like really strategic things. And maybe some of those were kind of organically strategic that you kind of learned along the way. But I really appreciate, especially in that concept of like being an associate for anyone else that's listening. I think that's something that oftentimes holds us back as an associate is um you know, statements that our professors are saying of it's impossible to be a private practice, let alone at the beginning, almost this kind of like martyrdom narrative of like, you need to do agency work first, you need to earn your stripes, you need to earn your, you know, credibility. Um, but I really appreciate that you one, like held fast to like what you really wanted and honored that and I'm imagining were proactive to find someone to work under. Um, but also like that piece of, like even the kind of criticism or the pushback that you got with the Instagram account, I think, especially if you're talking about a couple of years ago, like I think right now it's becoming more normalized for associates to be on Instagram, but yeah, that would have been a time where it hadn't quite, there wasn't really clarity or there wasn't enough people to kind of know it was okay. And so I think that takes a lot of bravery to forge a new path or to say, you know, I'm going to take a little bit of a risk. I'm going to seek counsel, but I'm also going to like begin, And that's what I talk a lot about with people when we're talking about like creating like what I call a digital footprint, which is like your website presence, your social media presence, like all those kind of things is a lot of people are too scared to begin. And I think it's never too early to begin. And there's such like research behind like even just having a website presence and how that generates SEO and like there's all these pieces. So I'm just impressed that without seeing other people doing that, you had the courage and the bravery to like obviously consult with someone, but also to still do it, even if you're getting pushback.
1: back. Oh, thank you. Yeah, it was scary. And I, um, I talked to a lot of other associates that are friends and even people that are licensed that are like, how do you market? I'm not able to fill my practice. Um, yeah. and I talk about social media and every, I think if you're not in it, it can be really daunting. Yeah. What do I post about? There's so many posts about that already. I don't want to be a slave to having to make posts every single week. Um, So a lot of, there is a lot of fear around it and um, it still is daunting sometimes. So yeah,
0: (laughs) well, maybe we could transition and you could kind of share a little bit about like, cause you kind of spoke into this already, but I'm wanting to know a little bit more about how you kind of prepared yourself to step into private practice as an associate. Like, I know you were saying like, you were hearing like, no, you need to do other types of work first, or you also just had that experience of working in the psych hospital Um, I'm wondering like, were there actual other steps that you did to find a supervisor or how did you take that leap?
1: Yeah. Um, something that was really helpful for me. Another thing I was told I couldn't do, but then was able to do was to get trained in EMDR while I was in grad school. Yay. Um, That was really cool. Um, because again, they, a lot of my professors were saying, you need to wait until you are licensed for a few years and then you can do EMDR. Okay. Um, But for me, I kept hearing people asking for EMDR, especially in the psych hospital for referral Mm -hmm. over and over. What kind of therapists do EMDR? So my marketing brain was like, okay, not only is it interesting and I want to learn about it, but there's obviously money in being able to say that you are being trained in it because a lot of people are looking at it. So I got trained in EMDR when I was in grad school. Actually, Dr. Jen Kennedy um, wrote a letter to the um, program for me on behalf of me. Yeah, she's so sweet. And she um, helps me to get into that program. And so so um, phenomenal. Yeah, I really am super grateful for her for that. Um, I know you just had her on your. Yeah, I was gonna say
0: for anyone listening, she's been on the podcast a couple of times talking about her private practice and then also. Um, in the more recent episode, we did all about how to take on associates in private practice.
1: Oh, I love that. Yeah, she's great. So then um, also in grad school, I did my first responder um, counselor training. Um, that was all online as well. And then um, the supervisor that I've had, this is really cool. So I started in the psych hospital. I had the same supervisor. Okay. After about eight months into my traineeship, I thought, okay, this isn't really for me. Um, Mm -hmm. Just because it was exciting and it was such great experience working with so many different diagnoses I would have never worked with before. But the system of the hospital and anyone that's ever worked in a system like that, I don't even have words for how horrendous I feel like it was. And so I told my supervisor this, and she also worked for the Santa Barbara Rescue Mission, which is a nonprofit substance abuse program for people that are houseless. So she asked me if I wanted to switch. So I stopped working there, continued supervision under her, but for somewhere else, fell in love with this organization. It was the highlight of my traineeship experience. uh, The most amazing people I actually still take on some of their clients on the side, just because I love them so much. Oh, yeah, yeah, really great relationships with them. And then when I got to the end of that and I was about to graduate, um, Pilar, who's my um, supervisor, said, I have a private practice. Do you want to be underneath me in it? Like, what is your plan? So the door naturally opened. I didn't have to go searching for it. Um, I think that would have made it a little bit more challenging and stressful, mm-hmm. but. Yeah. At the end of my schooling, she said, I'd love to take you on. And that was really cool. So I just started under her in January.
0: Oh my gosh. I love that. And I love just like, as you kind of named some of those pieces, like it sounds like you were one proactive and also like, it's like a theme and kind of the way that you enter business of like, whether it's Instagram, people saying, oh, you can't do that. Or EMDR, you can't do that. Being like, well, let me ask, let me see if there's a potential, let me be creative in how I do this. Um, And even using someone like Dr. Jen Kennedy to help advocate, or even just that piece that you named too, of like, you never know for anyone that's listening right now, if they're at a traineeship site or associateship site, yeah, maybe that supervisor also has a private practice on the side and maybe they love working under that supervisor. Maybe that's someone they should consider asking. Um, So I like that you're kind of highlighting that too.
1: Thank you. Yeah.
0: Well, let's transition into groups because I feel like if anyone's listening, they might be like, okay, I want to start a group. I've tried to start a group it wasn't successful what do i do um do you want to walk me through kind of like what you've done and i can also share a little bit about what i've done with groups um just to kind of debunk some of the myths or some of the fears or just even just name some of the hard moments because marketing groups can be difficult too so um i don't know where you want to begin with that but maybe share like what type of group you do and then also you know you mentioned earlier like it took you quite a few months to get off the ground
1: Yeah, I'm excited to hear from you too, because I am still, even though I do groups, I'm still very new to groups. Um, Mm -hmm. When I worked in the hospital setting, I would have to do two groups a day and they were (laughs) so chaotic. Um, There was no direction with the groups, really. There was like a topic like coping with anxiety, but the people in the groups, people could come and go as they wanted Mm -hmm. to walk in and out of the room there wasn't really structure. I wasn't given any structure besides the topic to talk about. And then I had every diagnosis under the moon in that room and every gender, like, it just was like, I've had some wild experiences with group. I had a man, um, stand up and throw a chair at me in the middle of the
0: group. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, that's terrifying.
1: But needless to say, I hated group. When I was mm-hmm. done with my traineeship, I thought I will never do a group. That is not for me. <laughs> yeah. But
0: then what shifted? Like when you started doing private practice, is that where you decided you wanted to do groups or what, what happened?
1: Yeah. I had the idea of wanting to do groups again in private practice. I brought it up to my supervisor and was like, am I allowed to do this? Is this something yeah. I can do? And she said, yeah. What, what's the topic? What client?" tell what's your niche what do you want to work with and I thought um it would have been really cool for me when I was working living in the first responder world to have that kind of support because I felt so lonely in it and so um I guess my business brain says that's really marketable um and then my um heart says that's really helpful oh I like that so putting those together is my idea of the group um Like I said, I started marketing on Instagram. I found a Facebook page that's for SoCal Firewives. And I Mm -hmm. added myself in there and then made a post. Um, I use the, what is that? You probably use it too. The app everyone uses to make their posts. Um, A Canva? Yeah, I used Canva to make all of my posts for it. (laughs) Um, And my first group was interesting. I had four women and they were all, it's a process group. Okay. Uh, very, uh, not talkative And mm-hmm. first responder families are usually more private, which is very okay. normal. Um, <laughs> no one wanted to talk and, uh, it was a lot of work. I found it to be kind of exhausting because I felt like I needed to fill the space and I had to learn by doing that group that towards, it was, I, I do 10 week groups. So towards the middle of the group, I decided to, let them know how I was feeling, and that I would be leaving more space. <laughs> oh, I like that. So, kind of naming what was happening. Yeah, I just said I feel like I'm feeling a lot of the space, and I would. I know it can be uncomfortable to have silence, mm. especially over Zoom. That's another thing. It's like if we were in a room and everyone was had their chairs in a circle, it would naturally we would have conversation. Mm. But the weird thing with Zoom is everyone's in their box, and no one wants to interrupt each other, so no one talks. Yeah. Oh, that's so interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Zoom dynamics is a whole
0: different layer to the group situation. Yeah.
1: No chairs yeah. flying, but I, <laughs> I'm safe from chairs, but there's still awkward silences and interruptions that
0: happen on Zooms. I, <laughs> I kind of like with groups on Zoom, though, it's nice that you can like pull up your notes and it doesn't seem as obvious. Uh, there's like little things like that. and I'm like, oh, this is nice. Or you can like check the time and like it just feels, I don't know there's something about it that I really appreciate. I guess I could share a little bit about how I do my groups too. So that way you can have a couple different perspectives for whoever's listening. Um, so I have a few different groups. I've actually started to do lots of groups more recently. Um, but so the main group that I do is called thriving through pregnancy and postpartum. And so it used to be just thriving through pregnancy and then another group thriving through postpartum. But because people are pregnant and they all get pregnant at different points, it actually made more sense to kind of merge the two because sometimes someone would join when they're in their third trimester and someone else is in their first. And so it was a lot of having to like constantly fill the group because of the dynamic. And I found um, by merging the two, one, it also kind of created more camaraderie, which I feel like is so important in group context. It had that kind of like mentorship piece of someone had given birth. And so they shared about their birth story and then someone else is preparing for birth. So they're asking, what do you do with your in-laws or how do you create boundaries? And like, just kind of like more of a, just support. And my groups are a little bit more support-based versus process-based. But yeah, I will say it takes a lot of time to market. And I didn't really realize the first few times I did groups. Um, I also do like a grief process group as well. And I kind of gear that towards the holidays. It's like a three-month group. To kind of help them through like, you know, Thanksgiving, Christmas, New Year's, like all that kind of stuff. Um, but so I guess a couple of the mistakes that I have made along the way. So I don't know if you want to name some of yours too, but kind of this thought process of like, you put so much time and energy, like into creating your Canva post or into the curriculum or whatever you're working on. And so you kind of think, you know, I post about it and everyone's going to be so excited to hear about it, but you need to post so many times or you need to find different outlets. And so for example, um, and it sounds like you found that group on Facebook, but there are a lot, or even private practice or therapy groups on Facebook that have like something called marketing Monday, where you can post your groups. So I do that a lot, um, with the local camp chapter that we're in, um, you have e tree, so you can send an email. that goes to 400 therapists locally. Um, so you can do that weekly. So kind of like having almost, um, notifications in my calendar that say, every Monday, don't forget to post marketing Monday or like kind of having a strategic game plan. Like if it's going to launch in six weeks, you're posting weekly. You're not waiting for the two weeks before, or, you know, things like that. Another thing I will name too, that is a little bit difficult. Um, and I know everyone's different with how they do groups, but the piece of like, a lot of people might be interested and you might do a consultation and it won't pan out. Mm -hmm. And so there's actually a lot of like upfront time that goes into it in terms of, you know, if you're having five to eight people in your group, but maybe 20 people reach out and only five to eight fit, um, you're doing a lot of additional time and communication back and forth. Um, So just to kind of keep that in mind, and I know that can be kind of discouraging um, at first, especially if you're not getting the traction. But I think also when you think about like the longevity of a group, like I like to think of it as, okay, so I don't know how much your groups are, but I charge 60 a group. So if I have five people, that's 300 an hour. If I have eight people, that's 480 an hour. And if my normal fee is 225, I'm always making more than my normal fee. Yes. And I think we need this before we hit record, like how fun groups are, like, just like the energy, the dynamics, and also the piece of like, how they actually kind of Add value to if you're working with a current client that is struggling with postpartum anxiety and they want to feel less alone in it, but them joining a group, you're able to give them something that you couldn't give individually because you're getting, giving them community, you're giving them camaraderie, you know? And so it's like so meaningful. I
1: like how you named like the heart and the headpiece. There's definitely both. Yeah, I love hearing that. Thank you. Um, the second group I'm so the first group was a lot of bumps and learning. Yeah, um, <laughs> the second group I have now I'm halfway through it. The most amazing group I've had, um, and I think it is the women that I have in the group. They're very talkative, and it's so. I think what I'm learning about doing groups is, um, when people are open and they want to share, they're learning so much, not just from being in the group, but from each other. Yeah. And um, I had um, someone give me some feedback saying how healing it was for another member in the group who reminded her of someone um, Mm to give her um, support and encouragement and um, that it filled that piece of her that she didn't know she needed. So I'm getting to that. And then also um, the cool thing is when the group starts to run itself, it's such a nice break.
0: (laughs) I know. Truly. Yeah. It's yeah. There's maybe at the beginning, that kind of like group formation piece, people kind of figuring out their roles in the group and the norms. Um, But you're right. It kind of hits a stride where it's like, wow, this is juicy. This is really meaningful. And it's also fun. I don't know. I think every therapist is different with like group rules. Like I encourage my group to meet outside of group, but I know some groups are like, you can't be friends outside of this. So, but it's also really fun to see the friendships form as well.
1: Yeah, I've um, made my group stay within the group for the 10 weeks. And then after the 10 weeks, I allow them the opportunity to exchange um, emails or numbers or whatever through me, just to kind of, because it is on zoom to kind of keep any like side or cross conversation, make it still feel safe. Yeah. Um, and my groups are so small that I don't think there would be room for any clickiness if that were to pop up. So yeah. <laughs> totally, <laughs> I've only had like four people in my groups right now. So Um, the financial aspect of it's interesting too because I'm an associate. I'm not making a hundred percent of what my client is paying to see me. So in my head, I'm calculating how much they're paying. I'm like, oh my goodness, I'm making so much. Um, I'm really fortunate I make 70% of Oh my my gosh, that's
0: phenomenal.
1: (laughs) It's it's awesome. My supervisor, um, we have a really close relationship and she offered me the 70 30 split at the beginning. Which is so, so nice and so generous. And um so that's helped me feel confident in raising my rate. I charge 80 per mm-hmm. group. Um awesome. because with only having four women and then thinking about how much I my time is, you know, how much yeah, I was on the group. Yeah. An individual session in that hour. Um, I want to make sure I'm obviously making a profit off of it outside totally. of the cut that my therapist or my supervisor is taking. So yeah. yeah, yeah. That's also an aspect of I don't run the group if it's not worth um my time financially. Yeah.
0: That's really smart. I really appreciate your transparency of like even naming like that piece of being an associate doing a group versus being licensed and what that might look like. And that's encouraging to hear about your supervisor because sometimes you hear the opposite types of stories. So (laughs) yeah, Um, I'm wondering with your groups and because this is something that I've kind of done with more specifically like the grief group and then also the pregnancy postpartum group is I do my group for eight, 10 weeks, 12 weeks depending on what the group is. And then after the group is over, I give the opportunity for them to re-enroll and the curriculum kind of shifts. And I've noticed that has helped a lot. So like the first time you launch a group, you go from zero to then filling it. But then if you do an opportunity for them to continue, depending on their clinical needs and what they're processing, um, it can actually be really one impactful for them to have that continuity of care. But then also that piece of like, oh, wow, half my group is full. So I'm only filling two spots instead of eight spots or whatever that looks like. Um, so that can be really encouraging.
1: I like that. I haven't had anyone re-enroll yet, but what I have had is people that want to see me one on one in my practice out after the group done, or during the group for extra, I've had a, um, a handful who during the group they need extra support and they'll ask if they can meet me with me one on one outside of the group as that's well. Great. and Really helpful. Um, something that's really really cool that I um, it just kind of fell in my lap was this um, nonprofit called the Overwatch Collective. It they raise money to support military and first responder families for therapy. What? And I connected with them on Instagram, and they offered to raise money for two women to attend my group. So I was having a really hard time filling because everyone was saying eighty dollars is too much. I can't afford that. I need to, and I have so much empathy for that because I understand. And I don't take insurance either, so that's another yeah. aspect of it. Mm-hmm. I can provide super bills, but um, for groups, I don't. I've never ventured. Yeah, I've never
0: done them for super bills for groups either. But
1: right. I
0: think you I can. can. imagine. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I imagine I don't. I don't usually offer that for groups, but um, they they uh, raised money and they paid for. They sent me a check or my supervisor a check in the mail for two of my clients to attend, and so they got to be completely sponsored and attend. So cool. The group, which was really cool, and they're raising money now for the next group that I'll be starting in four weeks. Oh, I love that. It makes me feel better.
0: Yeah, and there's something really valuable about that piece of like honoring like your needs of what you need and not budging on your own expenses and your own fee, but then also like having that intrinsic piece of like being able to still meet other people's financial needs. Uh, that's so cool that that
1: company exists. Like that's really cool. It is cool. Um, another thing in the beginning that was really difficult for me was the paperwork and then knowing how much to charge um oh, I not know where to go with <laughs> of this. my supervisor is amazing she gives me um a lot of freedom in my practice to schedule as I want take on who I want to do all my intakes um, and then obviously she's there to support so when mm-hmm. it came to the group um, and she's a very busy woman she works in a lot of different organizations and she said okay like Figure it out and run it by me once you got it. <laughs> oh my gosh. So she really trusted you. She, she trusted me, but I uh, was really like stressed at the beginning. I'm like, what does paperwork look like? So um, I would really emphasize anyone that's listening that's still in grad school or an associate how important it is to make friends that are also therapists, because I was able to reach out to um, this girl who's also an associate that I was in a traineeship with at the hospital. Oh, cool! And she runs a group and she's actually underneath the group practice. So she sent me her paperwork for the group and I used it to create my own the points hers, and I was like, and then we had. She kind of consulted me about how she, what she charges, and I remember at the beginning I was like, yeah, maybe I'll charge like twenty dollars a group. And oh my gosh, my friend's like, no, 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 like you—that's <laughs> you too little. That. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, know your worth, know your time. Um, yeah. So it was nice getting. I guess consultation or supervision outside of my supervisor yeah. and then I ran it back to her with all my paperwork together and she made sure I didn't forget anything as far as like legality goes but yeah. you know, I had to come up with a policy on cancellations what happened if there's only one person that shows up in the group that day do you cancel it or do you um continue?
0: yeah oh that's a good point yeah
1: yeah, so things yeah. like that I hadn't thought about. And um, my friend Amy, actually, who's the other therapist, she helped walk me through her policy. And then I was able to make my own off of hearing what she was doing. That's so cool. When I like what you just
0: named of like reaching out for help and like having those friendships or just professional colleagues that you feel like you could say, Hey, I, I don't know how to do this. Can you teach me or can I borrow this or can you talk to me for 15 minutes and walk me through it? I really like that because sometimes I think we like try to do too much on our own. And then we have a lot of anxiety because we're like, is it right? Did I do it wrong? Like, just that's really cool. I like that a
1: lot. Thank you. Um, Something that's been a lifesaver for me, and this might sound silly is notes were so draining for me, especially on group days, because I would see, I feel really fortunate too. I started my practice in January with two clients. Um, and now I have a group and 36 clients on top of oh that. Oh my gosh. Me, that's almost like too much. That sounds so exhausting. <laughs> it's a lot. Uh, well, a lot of them are every other week. So, oh, um, that makes more sense. Then okay. it, it works in nicely where I'm not overworking, but I'm seeing like six to seven clients and then I'm doing the group once a week. So, uh, the notes were so um, uh, that's a lot on itself, it felt like for me. But with having to do the notes for my private practice, hmm. I can leave individual clients, and then having to do four or five individual notes for each it was so much and so I was talking to my supervisor about just how exhausting and how time consuming it was and she taught me how to do my notes in sessions Ooh, tell me more oh my gosh my life has changed every time at the end of the day when I'm able to close my laptop and walk away from my desk and not have to write a note I am so so excited that I found this um she has these templates and I can always send them over to you if you Oh, can. I love that. <laughs> you're interested in seeing right them, forward. <laughs> I'm gonna open it so I can get it right. Um, so the first front of the page of the template for the notes is all boxes you check.
0: Yes, yeah, so yeah, yeah.
1: over like participation, quality, appearance, behavior, eye contact, affect, speech and language, attention, thought process, short-term memory, long-term memory, perception, insight, judgment. And then there's a box for treatment and all the different treatments, um, and then a box for risk assessment. Mm. So, um, suicide ideation, passive plan, intent means self-harm safety plan. Um, so that's on the top. And then at the bottom is space for the process notes or like the content, right. And then very bottom you sign and date the note. Um, so my supervisor, and this is probably different for anybody, but because I'm in private practice, she told me, she said, listen, if you ever get subpoenaed for your note and pull it up, they're going to ask you what it says. And as long as you can read your note and it's in, um, it has everything included in it, obviously with all the checkbox covers a lot in um, the content of what you talked about, that's all you need. You don't need your notes to be these perfect narrative. Yeah. You're not
0: like recapping the whole entire session.
1: <laughs> yeah. that's what I was, I was writing them like so nice. And she's like, honestly, no, one's probably going to see your notes, but <laughs> if you got subpoenaed for your notes, like even if you're, um, kind of writing in uh, shorthand and they yeah, ask yeah, yeah as long as you know what it means it's fine. So because I'm on telehealth sometimes I'll tell my clients I take notes during sessions so if you see my eyes going down, I'll show them my clipboard I'll say I'm taking few notes you can always ask me if you're curious about them. but I've been taking all of my notes I guess shorthanded um, on the process content part during sessions and during the groups. And so at the end of the day, I close my laptop and I walk away and it's exactly what I need. I'm so glad you're naming all that because
0: I feel like that was something I was not ready for when I did the group was like, you're like, oh yeah, I'm making a better fee. And this is really fun. And I finally got enrolled and you're right. It's like five to eight people's group notes on top of your normal client load that day is draining. And so I'm curious, I don't know if you're doing your notes by hand or if you do, oh my gosh me. that's awful. How are you doing that? Oh my
1: gosh, <laughs> that's awful. Okay, um, I t- I gladly take any kind of suggestions for this. I think because my supervisor has always done that. Her
0: format as he well,
1: hand. um, and again she's amazing she's wonderful but she really just threw me in the deep end in a good way yeah, um, yeah yeah and I love the trust she has in me but when I first started I was like okay, I guess I gotta get some filing folders yeah. <laughs> well it's interesting too because I feel
0: like there's different and I need to also name when I was an associate I wrote mine by hand too that's how okay. my supervisor did but I think I guess the beauty of once you get licensed is getting to choose your systems. Mm-hmm. And I would like highly recommend I use simple practice, but you can use any type of EHR, but I have a similar model where I have like check boxes, but you're just like literally clicking. And then it has this feature that you can reload your past note. And so if you have a similar effect most of the time, or you have, like, you just have to worry about changing a few of the words and making sure that it just, it makes it super streamlined. Yeah. Um, but can you take notes during session though? Because I feel like the typing would be. I could, I just haven't. I don't typically do it during session. Um, but now that you're talking about it, I'm like, hmm, I wonder if I could do this.
1: <laughs> it takes me a lot of time and uh, brain energy, I guess. But yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Well, I feel like we could keep talking forever because there's so much more to cover but I'm noticing the time and we need to wrap up. But I'm wondering for anyone listening, how can they get connected with you? How can they refer clients to you? If they have people that you come across that would really benefit from your niche, Um, where can they connect?
1: Oh, that's awesome. I would love to connect um, just as friends too for any other clinicians um, Mm -hmm. or associates or grad students. Um, My uh, Instagram is on underscore being underscore resilient. Um, and then I have a psychology today page, destiny Morris, um, that should pop up for me as well. And then my email is destinymorristherapy@gmail.com. at gmail.com. Perfect. And I'll link all of that in the show notes as well, but thank you destiny for coming on. I feel like,
0: you know, a lot of what the flourishing therapy is all about is, One flourishing, which is like creating your ideal environment so you can like flourish and grow, which I feel like you've done by like really honoring your humanness and like wanting to stay true to like working in private practice and follow your niche and all of that. Um, But also the Therapreneur piece, like you are a Therapreneur, you are a therapist entrepreneur and you really think outside the box and you take risks and you, you know, if something hasn't been forged, you forge it and you say, you know what, I'm going to create this new path and I'm going to be brave. And so I appreciate just hearing, yeah, where you're at and just really admiring your, you know, just work ethic and vibrancy. And I am excited for whenever you are licensed, because I feel like you'll be unleashed. It'll be like, what can you not do? (laughs) Because there is some, you know, limitations as an associate, but I'm just really inspired by your story. And thank you for sharing so much of it.
1: Oh, yeah. Thank you for having me on.
0: So you want to launch a private practice but you don't know where to begin well you are in luck our signature course flourishing in private practice is coming october 2022 this 12 hour self-paced course is perfect if you are a pre-licensed student trainee associate or even a licensed therapist that is wanting to learn more about strengthening your private practice or curious to take the leap from agency to being your own boss. This course will walk you through all the steps from the basics of setting up your business structure, creating your brand, building your reputation in the field and strengthening your systems to help your business flourish. This course is filled to the brim with tangible examples, templates, and structure to help your business thrive and for you to grow and flourish personally and professionally. If this is you and you are wanting in, go to our website at theflourishingtherapeneur.com to join our waitlist to be the first to know when the doors open. We also have a free download on our website called 10 Steps to Starting a Private Practice, and it's available for you today. So if you're wanting to get started sooner or dip your feet into the idea, don't wait another moment. Thank you for tuning in to the Flourishing Therapreneur Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a review as that helps other clinicians and therapreneurs find our community and thrive through our offerings. Want to take your business a step further? Visit the FlourishingTherapreneur.com or our Instagram with the same handle. Connect with our free community or sign up for an upcoming course to help cultivate your thriving business and endeavors so you can flourish personally and professionally until next time I'm your host Claire Blakey and I believe you deserve to flourish as a Therapreneur.